0: Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for the liberty that we have that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am thankful that you, through your Holy Spirit, do, even though we are not free completely from any law, we are uh, only free to choose the law of Christ, as we spoke about this morning. The law of Christ, which says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves already. So I pray, Father, as we look at the passages before us this evening, particularly from Galatians and Romans, that it would encourage our hearts and, and help us to remember where the lines for this liberty is drawn in Christ Jesus. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. We're going to start with the verse John chapter eight, verse thirty six. John chapter eight and verse thirty six and when you have your place there, if somebody could read that out for us, John chapter eight verse thirty six that way I'm not to crane my neck quite as far. okay read that again, please. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now here's the problem right off the bat. A lot of people think that with Christian liberty that this verse means exactly what you think it means. And that is that you're free to do whatever you want to do. That you're free to live any way that you want to live. And that despite whether you cause offenses to other people or not, which is actually what we see in the 21st century in this day and age in which we live. What happens if somebody else gets offended? What happens if somebody or if you say something that supposedly offends somebody? Mad at you. Yeah, they get mad at you. What else? Okay. <laughs> You're racist. You're, you could be racist or bigoted or whatever, whatever the word is of the, of the day. You're just not woke enough. Condemned. What's that? You're condemned. You can be condemned. Absolutely. Your life can be destroyed. I mean, you, you, destroy your your workplace. Sure. Uh, and it's happened. Sure, there are people who've lost their jobs. Definitely. absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it could be a professor who works, who is a conservative professor, uh, even tenured. I mean, I thought tenured meant that you could be wherever you were at for the rest of your given life as long as you wanted to continue to teach but now if you're not woke you can lose all of that or they can put you on some kind of a sabbatical um, to be able to to, to to get you out of the way or to get you out of the picture well that's a scare tactic right I mean, uh, there's the difference between opinion and um, uh, you know something that is uh, purposely negative towards someone so that mm-hmm. they are grouped they are Sure. And, and, and it can, I mean, unfortunately, that was one of the things that, that we saw even in, uh, even within the convention, uh, the, the, the strictures of the convention that we were in. Uh, we found that we were finding and that it was just about on the news constantly where even the, the presidents and the, of, of the Southern Baptist Convention and being pastors were actually getting down and kneeling on their platforms and apologizing for being white. You know, and and what they're saying is, well, God made me this way, but I'm going to apologize. Who are you actually apologizing to? You're, You're you're actually criticizing God because God is the one that made you the way that you are. Yeah. Well, it's, it's no different than, for example, those who are within the trans community. Now, uh, do we believe that, that, number one, a person who thinks that they are trans, that uh, we are still to love them to the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, but love it does not mean that we simply state whatever you want to believe about yourself, uh, that, that's, that that's acceptable and that, that God made you that way. That That's not loving. Uh, lo- loving. Loving is, for example, when our children are growing up, They may do something that is wrong. It's not loving to say, well, you know, I understand, Johnny, you're only two and a half years old and you stole that cookie from the cookie jar. And Johnny says, well, God just made me a thief. You know, did God make Johnny a thief? No, absolutely not. Johnny was born with a sin nature, so he chooses that which is in opposition to God. He chooses that which makes him a rebel against the Most High God. And that's exactly what we find within this movement is that people are saying, well, I was born a a man, but I actually believe that God made me to be a woman. Well, no, you can't change the laws of nature. So let's go back, though, when it comes to being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does that freedom actually begin and end? It frees us from the guilt and the power of... of What our sin was, if you read above there, it talks about the sin. Absolutely. He's not talking about us being able to live and do anything we want to with our lives. It's the freedom from sin. Now, we talk about the free will of man, for example. Let's talk about that for just a moment. We did, if you want to take a a look at the previous lesson. Uh, I actually did a lesson last week, put it online. It's on YouTube channel. But when we're talking about free will, many people look at that term free will and they think that man is born with a free will to live any way he wants to, including being able to choose to obey God or to be able to please God. Now the problem is Romans chapter 3 says that there is none that seeks after God. No, not one. We can't follow after God. We can't choose to seek after God in the natural man. That doesn't mean that we're as bad as we can possibly get. What it means is that we don't have the ability in any way to be able to look up. We don't wake up one morning and say, Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Wyoming. There's no wind blowing. Therefore, I think I'm going to choose God. No. The only way that you can choose God is when the Holy Spirit comes, draws you to himself and convicts your heart of your sin, the sin that separates you and I from the very holiness of God, and the very presence of God. So where does this supposed free will come in? We talk, for example, of John and Charles Wesley. They wrote some beautiful hymns. Their theology was all over the board, though. And the problem was that they believed two things. Number one, they believed that they could come and they could choose God, that the natural man, as an unbeliever, could choose to please God at any time. And they also believed that as a Christian that they could actually get to the point where they would be what's called sinlessly perfect. They believed that they could get to the point where they would never ever sin again in their life. That was their goal. In fact, we find it in some of their hymns. Uh, For example, I think we've got it here. I want to show you. This is why it's important for us to read hymns or read the words of the hymn. Let's see if it's... Yes, two hundred eight. Look at hymn number two oh eight with me. This hymn is probably sung at uh any church wedding in England. This is one of the songs that are sung. Uh-huh. Oh, is it sung at yours as well? Was it? <laughs> it, it's just one of those one of those traditional things there, okay? Listen to uh let's see here. Um Breathe, breathe. Uh, Let's see here. Let me find the promised rest. Here we go. Verse two. Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. And John and Charles Wesley both wrote about this in their diaries and in their books. And their desire was because when they felt the moving, this moving spiritual, emotional moving that was within their heart, they thought that it was compelling them to be able to live without any sin or without any issues. And he continues by writing his theology, and he says, take away our, what does it say? Bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega B, end of faith as its beginning, set our hearts at liberty. Come Almighty to deliver, let us all thy grace receive. Now again, John and Charles Wesley didn't believe that at the moment of salvation, you received all of the grace that you were going to receive. They believed that there was a subsequent or multiple subsequent uh, acts of grace that the Holy Spirit would have to bestow upon you until you get to that point. Do you know what John and Charles Wesley, though both wrote in their diaries? They complained throughout their entire ministry that they couldn't reach what they thought the Bible told them they could achieve. And they lived discouraged lives. They lived depressed lives because they couldn't get to the point where they would stop sinning in their life. Finish then thy new creation. Again, he's speaking about the same, same teaching. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. changed from glory to glory. Into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love and praise. John and Charles Wesley did not believe, in addition, that once you were saved, you were always saved. They believed that if you continued sinning, that eventually the Holy Spirit would stop dealing with you, and you would find yourself going to hell when you died. Now, the problem with that is that we look at the scriptures and the scriptures tell us in 1 John, for example, that we can have confidence in the fact that we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit is dealing with a heart, the question is, is there a desire to please God or is there more of a desire to please God or is there a desire to please ourselves? Is there, is there a desire to live in such a way that we love God, that we love the brethren, that we love the fellowship of the saints, that we love his word, or do we love his or do we love our sin more? Now, yes, there are some days when we probably do love our sin more. I mean, the Bible is clear the pleasures of sin are for a season, right? We can find ourselves in that situation. The question is: do we remain there? Now if we are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that should be changing? We should be changing from glory to glory. We should be changing from a point where we are pleasing ourselves and every day we are striving to become more like Jesus Christ. So in talking about spiritual liberty, let's go back to free will and then we're going to get more into the lesson but when we're talking again about free will, we do not have the ability before we get saved to be able to please God. After we get saved, I believe that that restoration that God created in the garden, or that, that, that man, that image that God created man to be in, it gave him the ability. We, You and I as believers, we have the choice, first of all, to be able to do anything that we want to do with our life. Now that's the sad part. I Sometimes I wish that, that God would have been very clear in his word and then at the moment of salvation you absolutely knew you were saved and that there were some sins you would just never be able to do again. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? But can a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have a bad day and get drunk? I mean, thankfully I've not been there. I mean, there are other things I've had to deal with, but they can't get drunk, Right. Uh, can can a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have a bad day and say a bad word? Yeah. You see, we can do anything that the world can do except to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. When people die and go to hell, what is it that sends them to hell? Is it them being a drunkard? Or an adulterer? Or any of the sins that are going on? What is it that sends a person to hell? Unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ—that's what sends a person there. So when we are looking at Scripture and we are seeking to point to that person, and let's say somebody comes up to me and they say, "Brother Mark, I, or Mark, I, I'm not sure that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know what your what your thoughts are about who God is. I want to see if you think of God higher than you think of yourself." Because if you don't have a high and lofty view of God, you're going to have a high and lofty view of yourself. And if you have a high and lofty view of yourself, you're also going to have, not, you're not going to have the same opinion of your sin that God has. Now, when we were in Liberia, for example, the people there, they, here we say you tell a little white lie. See, everybody knows that. In Liberia, everybody tells little black lies. Nobody calls it a white lie over there. It's a little black lie. And I remember one of the men that I was training over there, He, uh, I caught him in telling a, uh, a fib, a little black lie, and I called him out on it. He actually stated the lie because I had seen him actually do what it was that he said he hadn't done, and we were in the marketplace, and he had done it. And I asked him, I said, well why did you do that? And he says, oh, pasumai. he said, it was only a little black lie. And you know where I went with that? To the cross. I said, I want you to understand what a little black lie had to do to Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that if that's all you think about is your sin is just a little something instead of a great capital murder offense, you will never truly understand the grace of God. You will never truly understand salvation that comes to the heart when you recognize that if that was the only sin you ever did in your entire life, Jesus Christ would still have had to go to the cross and die for that sin. That means every sin, every little white lie, every little whatever it is, we can try to stack ourselves up against somebody else all we want to, but the Lord Jesus Christ had to pay the penalty for that sin. Because if he didn't pay for the penalty for that sin, you'll have to do it. I'll have to do it. We'll have to find ourselves in hell, and we will never get to the end of our punishment for that one sin. That's the problem. So now that we're on the other side of salvation and we've come to the point where we have recognized the Savior, we have recognized through the work of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, what's he talking about? He's talking about that faith even, that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are, verse 10, whose workmanship? His created in Christ Jesus. So if we are His workmanship, we mentioned it this morning, who's the one that's actually ultimately responsible for taking us to the end of the journey? God is. Faithful is He who called you who also will do it. And He who began a good work in you will also perform it until when? The day of Jesus Christ. So that brings us full circle back to Christian liberty. Great, if he is the one who does all these things. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. If somebody would like to read that for us. And I am sure that that he who began a good work in you will begin to... Begin it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Great. Seems how it's all up to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to take care of it. I can now do what I want to. I mean, we think sometimes that that's the way that, the, that it works, right? If, if God is going to take us there, he's going to keep us. After all, we've got our ticket punched on the glory train, so ne- therefore we don't have to do anything. Yet, what does Romans chapter 12 say? Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a complete change. This is walking one way and to be able to turn around completely, recognizing that this way is sin. This way goes against the law of God. This way goes against the holiness of God, which is why the wrath of God was poured out. Because that holiness of God has been violated and now we turn around and we find ourselves walking toward the cross. And because we're walking toward the cross we don't want to do these things anymore. Can we do them? Brother Corey, absolutely. The difference is that now our lives should be so changed. Our lives should be so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that we have no, not even a desire to want to do these things anymore. Now, There are things that we do when we first get saved. And after a while, you'll find that as the Holy Spirit deals with you, there are going to be some things that maybe you didn't see as sin in your life. As the Holy Spirit continues to change you to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ, what should be happening with those things that are over here? What should happen? Less desirable. Less desirable. I mean, we talk, for example, when we mention prayer, and we've gone over this on Wednesday nights, but when we pray, God give us the desires of our heart. This is where the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel comes into or becomes such a big error. You know, well, if you sow a little seed faith, then therefore, God will give you a Cadillac. He'll give you houses, He'll give you a private jet. I'm the only one that's flying in one, but He gave one to me, so obviously He'll give one to you. No. The problem is that when we come before God, we come with nothing, we offer him nothing, and nothing that we do can make him more God. He's already who he's going to be. He is, as, he is all the God he will ever be for all of eternity, past, present, and future. Nothing can change him. Nothing can thwart his plans. So when I pray and I ask him for the desires of my heart, what's going to happen to the desires of my heart? They're going to change. Now instead of praying selfishly for the things that I think I have to have in order to be able to make life work, God is going to change my heart so that I start praying what the Holy Spirit wants me to have to make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of times, and you can see it, when, when a person, if, if you first come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are times when you can listen to prayers, and even sometimes you can be saved for years, and we pray, and, and we ask the Lord, and we trot out our our, our little list, and, and we pray for all these things, and it's like we go down through them, and God bless this person, God bless that person, God heal this person, God heal that person. And what we should be doing is getting to the point or coming to the point in our prayer life where we start praying, Lord, your will be done, not mine. But but, but, I don't think I would like his answer. Well, even if we knew what God's answer was, and we don't like it, if we are striving to please God, that means we'll be willing to accept whatever it is he has in our life. Cancer, heart attack, death, whatever, financial struggles, emotional struggles, spiritual struggles, all of these things that are going on in our life... We have to recognize that if he is sovereign, he has placed them there for a reason. And it is to bring honor and glory to himself. This is what we talk about in the sovereignty of God. This is one of the things we're going to look at in great detail at the conference, Lord willing, in April. The sovereignty of God means that God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, with any person he wants, for any purpose which he wishes to accomplish, namely to bring honor and glory to himself. That's the sovereignty of God. And if you notice, it has nothing to do with you and me. Now, we want to say, well, God is sovereign, but... No, there is no but with the sovereignty of God. It, it, it's just like there are certain laws in, in, uh, in England, for example, where now King Charles, it was Queen Elizabeth for 70 years. There are things that, that she was allowed to do. For example... In England, everybody has to have a driver's license. If you're of driving age, everybody has a driver's license. But Queen Elizabeth never had a driver's license her whole life. She didn't have to. She had money. She didn't have to carry it around. She had people to carry it around for her. And when we come as Christians... As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have our name, his name, attached to us, we need to begin realizing that God has called us to live in the freedom that comes with Christ, but also to recognize that we are called to live in such a way where we are pointing to the glory of the Father. Now, if we went over to England, let's say you, Brother Gabe, let's say you went over to England, you just happened to meet King Charles III on the street. And he says, you know, Gabe, you look like an upstanding fella. And I want you to know that I want you to uh, be able to serve as the, whatever, the, the captain of the, of the king's guard. So he puts him in uniform. What is Gabe going to be required to do? What's that? All the duties of the king's guard. Okay. So then Brother Tim goes over there. And he goes over a week later and he thinks, hey, that's pretty great. Gabe Gabe is now the colonel of the king's guard. So I'm going to go over there, meet King Charles III on the street. He goes over and meets King Charles III. And King Charles says, well, I want you to be the bathroom cleaner at Buckingham Palace. We're going to give you your uniform. We're going to give you a nice swishy brush. What is going to be the duties of Tim. Clean up bathrooms. Are both of them working directly for the king? Yeah. What's the difference between being a colonel's guard, or the king's guard, and a colonel, and being a bathroom equerry? Responsibility. Responsibility. But if they're both subjects of the king, and the king asks them to do something... Do they have the choice? Can, can Tim get up in the morning and say, you know, I don't I, I, don't think I like cleaning bathrooms anymore. I think I want to get up and, and I'm going to be the colonel today. Does he have that opportunity to do that? No. And if that is the way it is with an earthly king, how much more us, we who are not to be above our master, and the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to be Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Sunday school teacher, deacon, elder of the church, clean up after the church, straighten the pews up, whatever it may be, this is what God has called us to do. What should we be doing? Exactly right there, Gabe. Whatever God asks us to do. Whatever God asks us to do, is it His right to ask us? We are His subjects, right? And if we are his subjects, do you remember the account in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus Christ has the servants that come to him? And the first one, he says, well, Zephaniah, I want you to go and collect the rent. Zephaniah says, okay, I go and collect the rent. And he goes to collect the rent. The people of the town say, no, we're not going to give you the rent. Kick you out. Go back to your master. Tell him we are not going to give you the rent. So he goes back. Next day, he calls Joseph he says, hey, Joseph, I want you to go and I want you to collect the rent. So he goes to the town, goes a long ways away to collect the rent. He goes to the town and when he gets there, the people of the town are waiting for him and they beat him up and they send him back. And the third day, Malachi gets up and Malachi gets called to the house and the master says, I want you to go collect the rent. He goes to collect the rent. Malachi comes back in a body bag. He dies. So they bring Malachi back the next morning. Another servant gets called. Stephen gets called, and Master says, I want you to go collect the rent. Now, at this point, Stephen's got a choice. Stephen recognizes that the first one got shamed, the second one got beaten, the third one got killed, came back in a body bag yesterday. Why does Stephen go out and try to collect the rent? Because that's what he was called to do. And when we recognize that, that we are just simply to do what God has called us to do, we will be willing servants. Whether it's to be sent to be a missionary, whether it's to be an accountant, whether it's to be a police officer, whether it's to be work with Caterpillar, whether it's to work with whatever it is, to be a truck driver, whatever it is in your life, God simply calls you to be faithful doing that. Too often, though, in those jobs, whatever it is, we want to put criteria on God. Well, God will follow you if. No. We don't have that choice as a believer. God calls us to do something. We are simply called to obey. Why? Because the master can and has the right to be able to do that. What do you think all of those servants thought every single morning when they got up and somebody else came back all beaten and bloody or they came back in a body bag? How do you think the servants feel? The other servants. Nervous? Nervous? I'm sorry? So hopefully, I'm not the next one. hopefully I'm not the next one. You know, pick Zephaniah today, don't pick me. But if that's what call, God calls us to do, we will then recognize, like the Apostle Paul did, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. As we looked at last week in our lesson, you are free, I believe, from the Old Testament laws, what the Scripture teaches us. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And somebody read verse 24 and 25 for us, please. are no longer Schoolmaster. When I was growing up, there were times when I was younger that I obeyed my parents, not because I loved them, but because I was afraid of the punishment that they would dole out if I didn't obey. But there comes a point in our relationship where our relationship changes. And I stop being afraid of the paddle or I stop being afraid of the belt. I stop being afraid of having to stand in a corner. And because of my love for my mom and dad, I get to a point where I am willing to obey what it is that they have asked me to do. Because I don't want that relationship destroyed. Now, when we first come to Christ, that's the way it is. We look at the Bible and we think, Sister Deanna, for example, she's going through, you're in Exodus, right? Right now? In Sunday school. school. Into the book of Judges. Well, what happened between Exodus and the book of Judges? In the book of Exodus, we have a great bunch of laws. I mean, there's like, you know, 2,420,000. Okay, there's not that many, but it seems like there are that many. There's 613 laws that are given to the children of Israel. They are all summed up in the Ten Commandments, that, that encapsulation of, on these stone tablets that God has given, we have ten tablets. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other, don't do that. And so then, by the time we get to Judges, what happens? Every man's doing that which was right in his own eyes. They all had the same law. What's that? We don't have a king. We don't have a king. You do have a king. You have king, you have God is the king. The problem was that the people wanted to be able to change the rules so that they could live any way that they wanted to. Go and read the book of Judges. It's a pretty sordid book. It put the law on the bookcase and forgot to read it. Who was it? King Hezekiah? Somebody remind me, was it Hezekiah where Uh, the book of the law was hidden and they eventually found it in the temple and they're reading the book of the law. Josiah. Josiah, Eight years old. And and they're reading the book of the law and he's saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute, we're supposed to be doing this? And the high priest says, this is the part of the story that always gets me. The high priest of the most high God says, yes, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And Josiah is looking at him like, uh, you're the high priest? You're not just a priest, you're the high priest. And you're not doing it? I mean, what, is the, what did the law say about a king when they eventually got a king? They were supposed to do what every single year? What was the king required to do? What's that? They had to read the law every single year, the law of God and what happened when they stopped reading the law the children of israel began to go into decline faster than faster than, than than you can imagine and it seems like every single time they went that direction it got worse and it happened quicker and quicker i mean here we are the children of israel have just come out of egypt god has miraculously saved them he's given them all kinds of riches i mean i mean they were slaves yesterday today They've got more money than they can put in a bank because there are no banks. And then they find themselves going over to the promised land and it takes them 40 years to get there and everyone that came out of Egypt, none of them got to go into the promised land that were, eight, that were over 19 years old. They all died in the wilderness except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And yet God said, this is what I want you to do. You do this, I will bless you. You don't do this, I will bring cursing. And did they do it? Well, Moses goes up into the mountain and he comes back down and he writes it down or God writes the law down and he reads it in the ears of all the people and the people say, all that the Lord God has said we will do. (laughs) And Moses says, okay, we're going to make sure so this time he reads it to the people and he gets to the end and the people say, "All oh, that the Lord God has said we will do. And one chapter later, God's killing like 25,000 of them because they didn't do what God said that they were supposed to do. And ultimately judgment comes. Now, when we are talking about the sin that we have in our life, go back to Galatians chapter 3. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by what? Faith or works? Faith. Faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In other words, now that we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, what are we called to do? We are called to obey Him out of joy. We follow His commands because we love Him. We don't want to destroy that relationship. Now, if we sin... We wake up in the morning, we have a bad morning, we say something we're not supposed to say, we, whatever is going on in our life. What changes in the relationship? Does God stop being God? Has God moved off his throne and put you on the throne? Absolutely not. What has happened? Go back to the relationship that I have with my parents. If I disobeyed them, did I stop being their son? No. I'm still their son. It's just like I've shared before. There were times when my mom would make a comment and and we would disobey her, we'd be picking on each other, we'd get in trouble, and she would just, out of exasperation, finally say, Just wait till your dad gets home. And we lived in mortal fear till the end of the day, hoping that dad wouldn't get home before we had to go to bed. And then we hoped that he wouldn't get up the next morning to meet out the punishment that we so rightly deserved the day before. Now, brothers and sisters, If you miss anything else, I want you to hear this. The relationship that you have with God, God is not going to walk away from you because you have a bad day. God can do nothing but fulfill His promises. He is the one that will fulfill that in you. He will keep you until the day of Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, when we stand in glory before him and we are falling on our faces, we are casting our crowns before him, you and I are going to find out the reality for all of eternity we are going to recognize and we are going to rejoice in the fact that it was him all the way. He saved us. He kept us. He preserved us. He loved us. He sanctified us. He justified us. And one day, He glorified us. It's all Him. So when we talk about liberty in Christ, now let's go back, let's try to finish this lesson this evening. And that is this, when when God calls us to follow Him, how should we live? And here's where, do you want to know where Christian liberty starts and stops? right there essentially what that means is that you and i don't have the ability to be able to do something that is going to cause our brother or sister to be able to have an offense in their life too often we come to church we have a bad day we have whatever's going on in our life and we expect everybody else around us to pick up the pieces of whatever is happening and when we live our lives in such a manner we're going to needlessly hurt other people that we say that we love. After all, if I'm striving to be a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ if, I am, if I'm striving to live my life in such a way that I am pleasing God, that means that we are all family in Christ. That means that if I say something and I give needless offense to Say, Brother Corey back there, or to Sister Debbie, you know what I'm doing? I am saying that it's okay in my mind. I have justified, I have done or said or thought whatever it needs, whatever I need to say or think or do, in order that I can cause offense to a son or daughter of the king. Think about that for a moment. If we recognize the relationship that each one of us have with the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe it would stop a lot of the stuff that goes on in churches today. Because if we truly are learning to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, who is our closest neighbor? The people we worship with, the people we live with in our homes. That that means let's let's make it very practical. That means that even there are times when I say something, or I say something in anger, or I say something in haste, or or, or I, or I uh, snap and make a, a you know snap off a nasty comment, even to my girls, for example. If the Holy Spirit is doing a work in my heart, what is He going to bring me to do when it comes to my relationship with them? Because I have essentially offended a daughter of the King, not just my daughter the daughter of the king. And so what do I need to do to make that relationship right? Apologize. I need to seek forgiveness. I need to make sure that I am changing in my life so that I am pointing them to Jesus Christ. But too often... I'm more concerned about pleasing myself. It's like the person who's walking with a crutch. After a while, you don't need that crutch. Your leg gets stronger. I mean, I think some of you would be concerned if Hannah walked in tonight and she was on crutches. You're going to ask her, did, did you break your leg again? No, I just like walking on crutches. You're going to say, but you don't understand. If you're putting your weight on those crutches, after a while, your bones are not going to get stronger. They're going to what? get weaker. What happens, for example, if somebody goes into a coma and they lay in a bot or lay in the hospital and they can't get up and move? That's called atrophy. And what happens to the body? It begins to decay. We have the responsibility to live in such a way that we are, we looked at that this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, we are building up the body of Christ, not helping it to atrophy. Not helping the body of Christ to fall apart. Let's look at one more verse. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You are... You could say in one sense that you have the freedom or the liberty to be able to do as you please But there will be ramifications. There will be consequences to that sin. There will be consequences when you break that fellowship. I remember, and maybe my dad can help. I'm going to use this illustration because I've often thought about this. I remember years ago him giving the illustration of a gentleman that went to the same church that we did when he was stationed in Iceland back in the 70s. And after a while, they lived across the street from us, I believe, in the apartment complex. And there was something that went on between the two of them. And after a while, they weren't talking. And if I remember the account correctly, at some point, the Holy Spirit got a hold of my dad. And my dad decided, I'm going to have to go over there and make things right. And he goes downstairs from our apartment. And he walks, goes out the door, starts across the street. And the other man, who is a brother in Christ... The Holy Spirit had been dealing with him as well, if I remember that correctly. And he came out of the door and they met in the middle of the street and realized what it was that they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be making things right with one another. I think that you and I, if we are seeking to live in the liberty that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will recognize that our liberty is not freedom to be able to hurt or disappoint the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all. But it also means that we're not able to live in such a way that we can treat you any way we want to. Or we can treat one another any way we want to. And if we have come to that point, what do we do? We make it right. We deal with the sin. We put it behind us. We can't, we can't keep beating ourselves up over things that we did a long time ago. That guilt and that shame, that doesn't come from God if that has been forgiven and it is under the blood, you have to leave it there. Now, there are a lot of times, and I want to encourage you here in this area, there are times when, let's use use, uh, Brother Kurt here, for example. Brother Kurt gets upset at something that I do. I needlessly offend him. I say something I shouldn't have said. And so the Holy Spirit gets a hold of my heart and I go and I make it right with Brother Kurt great it's 2023 2033 we're still both around I'm still serving the Lord I begin to notice that brother Kurt is not very happy with me for some reason now I've been trying to have a good relationship with him and I finally get up the courage to go and say brother Kurt what, what's what's wrong I, I don't understand I, it seems like their relationship's been broken here he said well you remember back in 2023 when you did When you said, who has actually broken the relationship here? Me or Brother Kurt? Brother Kurt has. We can do that sometimes with our spouses. We can do that sometimes with our families. And we can beat beat each other up. And then instead of making things right, we think that our Christian liberty allows us to be able to say what we want, do what we want, act however we want to. And we're not called to that. We're called to live in such a way that we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I am living in that way or there's offense that I do, and again, this would be an entire lesson all by itself, but if I have committed that offense, what do I need to do? I go and I make it right. I ask that person to forgive me. And then I leave it under the, in the under the cross. I leave it under the blood I say Lord help me not to live in such a way that I do that again to cause offense to him but because I still sin what happens when I do live that way what happens if I do have a bad day and I say something to Brother Kurt or I say something to my wife or I say something to my girls or I say something to my boys what do I do then ask for forgiveness again it really is that simple we ask for forgiveness again what is the responsibility of the person who has been offended accept the forgiveness as Christ has forgiven me I also forgive you be kind one to another forgiving one another tender hearted and so much more as you see the day approaching Ephesians chapter 4 Let's look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want you to, somebody read verse 12 for me, please. Romans six twelve. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. I think that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. If we are recognizing the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if we know what, we, what it is that we are called to do, and he calls us to a life of holiness, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So what is it that we're called to do? We are called to live in such a way that we are not allowing that sin to take over in this flesh. Paul continues this lengthy passage here when he gets to chapter 7. And this is what he says when he gets to the end of chapter 7. He says, the good things that I'm supposed to be doing, that's not what I'm doing. The bad things that I'm not supposed to be doing, that's exactly what I'm doing. He's continuing this whole section in Romans chapter 6, putting the mortal flesh to death. There are times we are, going to, we are going to live in Christ Jesus. There are going to be times we're going to have to get up in the morning, we're going to have to open up the mirror of God's word, and we're going to have to say, God, put Mark Escalera to death. Help me, Lord, to die to self. And help me to live for you. That is what we're called to do. And in living in that way, we will then find the joy that comes from Paul's words in in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we say that we are in Christ Jesus if we are enjoying, at the moment we're enjoying, the passions of the flesh? No. We're still His. He's still right where He's always been. The difference is that we're broken, so broken in our relationship that if we come to him, the only way we're going to be able to come to him is by seeking his forgiveness. Trusting that he is the one that will help us to be able to walk through the next step, to walk that path of progressive sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. This is why we have the discipleship class. This is why we, we have the, the ladies. This is why we started the flock care was to be able to encourage you to be accountable in the Lord Jesus Christ in the areas that you and I need to be accountable for because nobody is perfect. We still struggle. We still need help. We still need encouragement. Anybody here have a perfect marriage? Nope. Anybody have a perfect relationship with all of your kids? Nope. Anybody here have a perfect relationship with God? Not from our side, but we do from His. and He's the one that will keep you day after day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But we have to recognize what it is that He wants us to do. He calls us to that life of holiness, no matter how hard it is. We have to walk that path. Because it's the only way you and I will ever see joy. We're not walking with God under our arm like a crutch. We're actually having to crawl up in his arms, pick our feet up off the ground, and say, Lord, by faith, I'm trusting you to carry me. Because I can't do it by myself. Any questions? No? I pray that it was an encouragement to you this evening and a help. And uh, if you're able to stay, we'll have some snacks downstairs. Thank you Sister Karen for reminding me. I completely forgot after all the announcements we gave this morning. I forgot snack. I forgot it until like Well, you know, I I actually did the text as soon as I got your information. I sent it and I hit send. And then I got up a little bit later and it was like, wait a minute, it didn't send. My phone didn't ding, I didn't get a message, nothing. Oh man, oh well, dumb phone. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, as we go into a time of fellowship, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and our minds would be renewed in the scriptures day by day, recognizing that even though we so often fail, you do not fail. You are the one constant. You are the one that we can trust in every aspect of our life to help us to walk the right way, to have a change of heart, a change of mind in, in the areas that break that fellowship with you. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. And as First John says, we confess before you and we repent knowing that you are the one that is faithful. You are the one that is just. You are the one that forgives us of our sin. You are the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, that we can come before you. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts day by day. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you promised that you would send the Holy Spirit, that he would come and that he would guide us into all truth, that we convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Thank you that we are free from that judgment. Thank you that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return and He will catch us up to be with him. Together and forever we will be with the Lord. As Paul said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So in our time of fellowship to follow for those who are able to stay, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.